0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen, amen. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to downtown church. Um, We told Willie to invite his family and friends, but we didn't tell you to have a family reunion this morning, man. We didn't tell you to take up a whole section. But nah, we just, uh, man, we truly excited for you. Um, These... Um, I just don't want to speak words of flatter, but I want to speak sincere words that I respect the man that you are, um, the leader that you are. Um, your devotion and your conviction to God's word and to pour in and to young men is something that I admire and I want to applaud you for publicly. And I'm excited to have you um, named as an elder and one of leaders of downtown church. So. Just thank you, thank you, brother. Thank you. Um, but before turning to God's word with me, would you just bow and a quick word of prayer as I ask God to bless this moment? Dear God, you know exactly what we need as individuals. You know where everyone is right now, in their hearts, in their minds, in their souls. You know our struggles. You know our doubts. You know our fears. You know our insecurities. And you know just what we need. So God, I pray, Lord, that through the preaching of your word, that you do what only you can do and help us to believe in you. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, This morning, I would like to conduct a study on doubts. A study on doubts. Can a real Christian doubt God? Can faith and belief coexist simultaneously with doubts and disbelief? Mutually exclusive is a statistical term describing two or more events that cannot happen at the same time in the same space. So war and peace cannot coexist in the same space, right? You can't be both wet and dry. You can't, light and darkness cannot coexist. You cannot be both wrong and right. These are two things that cannot coexist. So my question today is, can faith and doubt coexist? Can we both believe in God and doubt God all at the same time? I believe this is an important theological question because we preach a message that says it's by faith and believing in Jesus alone that we are saved. So does it mean that our salvation is to be questioned if doubt is present? And I have personally had several conversations with people questioning, are they still saved? Asking the question, can I lose my salvation? Sometimes this question arises from a lack of feeling a closeness with God. One time we just sung this song, Communion, take me back to a place, a time where I felt so close. And so many of us began to doubt God because we remember this season in our life where we literally felt like God's hand was walking with us. And now we are in a season where we feel like God has turned his back on us. And this causes us to doubt. Some doubt their salvation because they are stuck in this habitual sin habit that they can't seem to shake. And they have said, I know God forgave me the last time, but I know there is a day coming where God will no longer forgive me. And now there is doubt. Tragedy strikes. God, I was doing everything right. Why did you allow sickness to touch my body? God, we prayed, we pleaded, why did you not save my baby girl? And I don't know if I can believe in the God who will allow this to happen. Now our belief has turned into doubt. And I bet that many people, believers in Jesus or not, I'm sure, would agree with the statement that faith and doubt cannot coexist. Hebrews 11.1 even tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, by definition, we are to say that faith is the direct opposite of doubt. But if this is true, this raises a problem for everyone here today. Whether you consider yourself a believer in Jesus or not, this is a problem because we all have a problem with doubt. We all actually doubt every day in our lives. We worry and live in fear because we doubt God's protection and provision. We take matters into our own hands instead of praying because we doubt that God actually hears our prayers and care enough to help. We intentionally sin, especially sexually sin, because we doubt that the pleasure we get from God's presence and obedience is better than this temporary moment of pleasure. All I'm trying to say is that doubt runs rampant in all of our hearts every single day. So, I want to ask the question again, can a real Christian doubt God? And well, since I said this is a study on doubt, I cracked open my Bible and I believe you will be shocked at what I discovered. Because what I discovered is that all of the prominent figures in the Bible who are praised for their faith, they too doubted. Hebrews 11. Eight says that by faith Abraham obeyed and when he was called to go out to a place that he was received and by faith he went. But if you know the story on Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, him and his wife came to Egypt and he looked at his wife Sarah and said, Sarah don't tell these people you are my wife. Tell them you are my sister because if they find out you my wife, they're going to try to kill me and take you from me. So on his journey of faith, Abraham doubted. Sarah, too, is commended in, in Hebrews chapter 11 for her faith. It says that by faith, she, con- she gained the power to conceive even though she was far past the age of bearing children. She had faith. But if we read her life and her story again, we know that when the angel came to her and told her what God was about to do in her life, she actually laughed in the angel's face and said, I am far too old. She doubted. Gideon, this, this war leader who, who, who defeated a massive army with the power of God only with 300 men, when God first came to him, he said, Hold on, God, If I, I need some signs to know that, that, that you are telling me to do what you're telling me to do. And Gideon said, Okay, God, I'm about to go to sleep. I'm going to put my coat outside. When I wake up, I want everything to be wet except my coat. Gideon. Doubted. And here are three people who prove to us that faith and doubt actually can coexist. And this is the tension that we face at this moment in the life of Thomas. It's this intersection of faith and doubt. It's this intersection of God. I believe in you, but 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 right now I'm struggling to believe. And if you have spent any time in church. If you have spent any time around church folks, you have heard Thomas being called what? Doubting Thomas. First of all, I thought that was his first name because we—I never heard Thomas. I, I always hear people refer to Thomas as Doubting Thomas, and we refer to him as Doubting Thomas in a negative way because when we read this story it looks as if Thomas doesn't have faith at all and when Jesus shows up it looks as if Jesus rebukes him and condemns him and judges him but I want to contend today that Jesus does not judge and condemn Thomas for his doubt but Jesus with love, compassion and grace meets Thomas where he is and leads him to saving faith and this is main idea this morning. This is the good news for us this morning. This is the takeaway that God is kind enough to meet us in our doubts, to meet us in our disbelief, to meet us right where we are struggling and not just meet us there, but He is kind enough to lead us into faith. And since this is a study on doubt, I want to teach you about the reality of doubt, the resolver of doubts, and the response to doubt. So first, looking at the reality of doubt, um, um, doubt is normal and it's offensive. So, let's take our time to kind of do a recap because we have been in John for, feel like, two years, right? So, you know, so, so sometimes week to week kind of, you know, we forget the details. So, let me just remind us what has happened thus far. Jesus was with his disciples in the garden, and, and Jesus was arrested, and all of his disciples scattered. Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified, and buried, and right now his disciples are hiding in the rented inn. And the verse, and and, and the Bible says they are hiding because they are in fear of being killed themselves. And in the middle of their fear, the Bible says that Jesus just stood there. It says that G- they was in a locked room. The doors was locked. They were there trying to protect themselves. And Jesus did not knock on the door. He did not climb through a window. He- I don't even know if he-, if he walked through the wall. The Bible says that he just stood there. And for 33 years, Jesus being both 100% God and 100% man, he has limited his power, his, his divine power to live and experience a human life so he can be the full substitutionary atonement for our sins. And now this is Jesus, before he even says any words, appears to his disciples by standing there letting them know who he is. He is God in the flesh. And he speaks to the disciples. I don't want to hash on that. Pastor Artez preached a great sermon on that last week. And he disappears, and the disciples' minds are blown. But verse 24 tells us something very important. Verse 24 tells us that Thomas is nowhere to be found. And we don't know where Thomas is. We don't know if he went to get some coffee like Miss Hillary said she did. We don't know if he just went for a walk. But when he comes back, he knocks on the door. And I just picture Matthew coming to the door saying, Thomas, 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 where have you been? You have missed it. Jesus is alive. I have seen the Lord. Jesus is alive. And Thomas said, amen, get out of my face. I ain't got time for that. Don't play with my emotions. That's what Thomas said. And Thomas walked in the house, and the other disciples, their minds are blown, and they are over and over again saying, we have seen the Lord. He is alive. Thomas, we don't have to be afraid anymore. Thomas, we don't have to be um, in fear anymore because our Savior is alive. And Thomas says, everybody shut up. I don't want to hear that. He even says, I'm I'm never going to believe. You want me to believe this good news just because you said it? Jesus appeared to you. Why hasn't he appeared to me? Jesus showed you his marks and let you touch him. Why hasn't he done that to me? And isn't this the place that we feel often? It's easy for me as a pastor, as a preacher, to tell you to trust God, He is good, Jesus is so good. But you, we often feel, I don't need somebody else to tell me about Jesus, I need Jesus Himself to show me who He is. And Thomas says something so extreme, he says, I'm never going to believe. The only way I will believe, you know what, Jesus showed Himself to you, Jesus can't just show Himself to me, He has to now show me the holes in His hands that was left from him being nailed to a cross. You know what? He can't just show me that hole in his hands. He has to let me put my finger into the hole. He said, you know what? I wasn't there, but y'all said that he was pierced in his side, right? And so, there's still a hole in his side. He said something so gruesome. He said, I need to be able to put my hand into his side. He's putting all of these conditions on his faith. And the first thing that doubt teaches us is that doubt is normal. It's easy for us to read this story and judge Thomas and call him Doubting Thomas because of this moment, but we need to acknowledge where he is right now. He has just witnessed a super-traumatic tragedy. He's down, surrounded by fear and disappointment and uncertainty, and this is the breeding ground for doubt. So, I want to take time right now to just encourage you, wherever you may be, to say that doubt is normal. Doubt is normal. And I know some of us, too, are like Thomas, maybe praying for a miracle waiting for Jesus to show up, and you've been believing, but now you've been praying for so long, and and their prayer is not being answered. So now doubt is starting to creep in. So I just want to encourage you to say doubt is normal. But even though doubt is normal, I must still say doubt is offensive. Doubt is offensive because doubt simply says, um, I'm not sure you can do what you said you're going to do, God. God, even though you gave me life, created and designed this world, I'm not sure that you know what you are up there doing. Doubt is like when I tell my baby girl, Karis, I'm about to make you lunch. She has never missed a meal in her life. Dad, Karis, I'm about to make you a PB&J. Daddy knows daddy know something about making PB&Js. PB&Js got daddy through college. And as I sit her down at that lunch table, and I begin to put the peanut butter on, and my daughter, Karis, has the nerve to say, Daddy, don't forget the jelly. (laughs) And I I said, Karis, I don't need your help. I got this. You're you're questioning my ability to make you a PB&J? And I'm offended, and I'm just trying to show us that, Doubt is offensive towards God because it, 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 it actually is us saying, God, I don't think you are who you say you are. I, 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 I know what I'm going through is real, but I don't think you really are good. doubt is offensive, and doubt makes us react how Thomas reacts. Doubt makes us put all of these conditions on our beliefs. God, I will only believe you, trust in you, if you do this and this and this for me. Before I move on, I have to say that Jesus doesn't have to answer any of our questions or meet our demands. We have to meet his demands. God doesn't have to meet our demands in order for us to, to believe in him. He doesn't have to answer all of our questions to, to have our obedience. And it's not insensitive for me to say that no matter what you have gone through, God doesn't owe you anything. But in spite of our hard hearts and sinful minds, Jesus still draws near, giving us the opportunity to take hold of him so Thomas first teaches us the reality of doubt, and next, Thomas teaches us the resolver of doubts. How do we resolve doubt? How do we dispel this doubt in our life? Look again with me at verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Okay, side note before I keep going, and the worst, it's important to even just take a moment to see when Thomas is doubting eight days later, who is he surrounded around? It's important that in our moments of doubt who we surround ourselves around, who voices we listen to. Eight days later, even though Thomas didn't believe, even though his heart was hard, he still stayed connected to God's people until his belief caught up. With his heart, right? So, I know when we go through our, our, our difficulties, the common temptation is to say, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like being bothered with God's people. I don't feel like being questioned. I don't feel like having accountability. The common temptation is to fall away from God's people because of our doubt. But But we need to take from Thomas that even in his doubt, he stayed connected to God's people until Jesus showed up himself. So, it's eight days later, and Thomas is still around and doubting, and and Jesus again has a Casper, the friendly ghost moment. He he just appears again and and stands in the midst of these people. And the first time, he looked at the 10 disciples, but this time, he looks at Thomas. And he looks at Thomas and says, peace be with you peace be with you and this isn't a coming, just a, a coming greeting like somebody saying what up a peace or peace out it's not a common greeting it's it's a deep theological statement that jesus is encouraging us so this wasn't the first the disciples first time hearing this phrase If we turn back to John chapter 14, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, even though I'm going away for a time. And then in verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither be afraid because my peace is with you so the so the resolver of doubt the thing that removes our doubt is when we stop looking at the problem when we stop looking at the world and look at the peace that Jesus gives and Jesus says my peace is nothing like the world so when we think about peace in the world worldly peace tells us that 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 peace is the is the absence of conflict worldly peace says worldly peace says that you can have peace when, when, when all the kids go to bed at night so you can finally have some what? Peace and quiet. It's, 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 it's everything being perfect. It's every condition being met. But Jesus says, that's not the peace I give you. The peace that Jesus gives us, he first gives us peace with God. And this is important for us to know. He, he gives us peace with God because throughout all of human history, mankind have been at war enemies with God. Our major problem wasn't that we didn't have enough money. Our, our biggest problem was that we were considered enemies of God. But Paul writes in Romans chapter five, he says, "Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." So when, so so when Jesus first says, "Peace be with you," he is letting them know that I have already paid the price on the cross, and now that, and now through faith in me, you can have peace. With God. But Jesus not only gives us peace with God, he gives us the peace of God. Paul said in Philippians 4, whenever you doubt, whenever you get anxious, whenever you begin to worry, he tells us what to do. He says, take it to the Lord in prayer. Why? Because the peace of God surpasses all understanding with God, your hearts, and your mind. Peace in the midst of problems. Peace, even when your spouse isn't forgiving you, even when you apologize, you can still have peace because your peace is not found in another person's response to you. Your peace is found with God, trusting him, knowing that he is going to make it right. He gives us peace. But then my favorite part is that Jesus just didn't say, peace be with you. Jesus looking at Thomas and said, Thomas, here I am. Here's the holes in my hand. Touch me. Feel the hole in my hand. Rub my side. Feel me. Do we get this? Jesus says, touch me. If we look at, in, in the Old Testament in Exodus, we see that Adam ate the fruit, and, and, and Adam and all of man was kicked out of the garden, being forbidden from being able to touch God, because God is holy. When when God descended on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, he told Moses to to put out a barrier, keeping people away from coming close to touching the mountain. Because if a man, a woman, a child, or an animal touch my presence, they're going to die. We can't touch God. The Ark of the Covenant, God's holy vessel, was being moved from one location to another, and the oxen stripped and slipped, and the Ark of the Covenant began to fall over, and a man by the name of Uzzah, without thinking, reached out his hand and touched the Ark, and he was killed immediately because he touched God. Man, we, mankind, we cannot touch God. And here Jesus right now is coming to Thomas, not a man of faith, not a holy man, not a righteous man, but a man in his doubt, in his sin, in his shame, in his unbelief, saying, Thomas, you can touch me. Do we see how, how, how groundbreaking and good this is? That, for all of mankind, we could not touch God, but now, through faith, through the work, through what Jesus has done, we now can come close and touch him and There's something about touching that 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 special um um I went to the grizzly game this Wednesday night, Thank you for the um um invite my man, and I went with my Grizzly shirt on, but y'all know I'm Team LeBron. And 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 um, I was feeling bipolar throughout the whole game because, you know, I'm from Memphis. I'm cheering for Memphis, but I'm really sad because Memphis killing the Lakers. But I got to my seat, and every seat had the had the waving towels. You know, they want the fans to, you know, be up there waving the towels, getting hyped, right? And the guy behind me, Every time he put his hand down, his towel kept touching my head. (laughs) And the first time I let it go, you know, I said, it's a mistake. You know, I'm just going to turn around. And then he stood up again, you know, and then we sat down and the towel touched my head again. I'm like, man, I'm trying to be cool. And the third time the towel just like touched me and I turned around and they were like, hey, bro. Like, like, you know, like hey, you know, I didn't want to cause a scene, but I was like, stop touching me. Because it's something about touching that, 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 that is personal. It's intimate. We don't want no strangers, just no anybody touching us. We don't want our enemies, especially our enemies touching us. And now Jesus says something so personal, so intimate, so so close, so um, um, so kind, he says we can touch him. In the midst of our doubt, we can touch Jesus. And when we come close and see the mark on his hands, what do we see? We see the love of God who proves that we can trust Him. We see through touching the marks on Jesus' hands that we have nothing to be afraid of, because He already paid it all. So we have the reality of doubt. We have the resolve of doubt. And last but not least, we have the response to doubt. Jesus said, Thomas, In verse 28, don't disbelieve, but believe. In verse 28, Thomas says something so simple but so profound. He said, my Lord and my God. This is the boldest declaration in all of the Gospels. When Mary Magdalene first saw Jesus when he resurrected, what did she say? She said, Rabbi, teacher. When the, when the disciples first saw Jesus, they said, we have seen the Lord. All throughout the gospel, Jesus is called teacher. He's called good man, but never has he been called who he really is, God. And Thomas has gone from doubt to having the boldest declaration of, of, of anyone in the Bible saying, Jesus is my Lord and my God. Jesus is. Is God. I didn't say that again. Simple. Jesus is God. Because we live in a world that the world is actually okay with Jesus being a man. The world is okay with Jesus being a historical figure. The world is okay with Jesus having some good teachings that some people choose to follow. The world is even okay with Jesus being a prophet, but the world is not okay with Jesus being God. And I want us as a church, downtown church and the global church, to stand true and have the same boldness that Thomas had, to stand and say, Jesus is my Lord and he is God. And and, 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 and I'ma live a living testimony that Jesus is God. Because I'm not standing up here today preaching to you because I went to college and and chose to go down a career path of being a preacher. No, no, no. I'm standing here today because about 14 years ago in Jonesboro, Arkansas, at Arkansas State in the A-Hall Freshman Dormitory in room 404 on the night when I was so low, when I was so down, when I, I wanted to give up and throw in the town, Jesus came to me and said, I am who and what? you need. Jesus is God. And I'm here today not because I'm so good, but I'm here because He is the one who turned my life around. He is the one who keep me going. He is the one who, 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 said, I'm a father to the father and son. I got you. Jesus is God. Excuse me. Excuse me. Let me. Jesus is God. So, to conclude, I study on doubt. I want to say again that doubt is normal. But God doesn't want us to stay there. And God is not hiding Himself from you, but God, Jesus, is drawing near to lead you to truly believe and follow Him. There was a fire in the building, and the building was burning profusely. And there's a the little boy at the very top with no way to be saved. But a fireman found an external pipe that went all the way to the top, and this fireman rushed to put on his gear, put on his mask, and put on his, his, his uh, gloves and, and his mask. And he began to climb this external metal pipe. And by the time he got halfway up, this pipe began to be so hot that it began to burn and smoke his gloves. But the fireman made it to the top, and he grabbed the boy, rescued the boy, and he climbed back down that same metal pipe. And he brought the boy to safety, but the fireman quickly took off his gloves because his gloves was burning him. They had melted, and the fireman threw his gloves, his hands, and some water to be cool. And the boy looked at the man's hands, but he never got to see his face because the fireman had on the mask. The boy was rescued, but the boy's parents passed away in the fire. So months went by, and the boy was in a in courtroom to be adopted, and a professor walked in and said, I can make this boy a genius. I can adopt him." A real estate agent walked in and said, "'I can teach him how to make money and care for the community. I want to adopt him.'" But then a third man walked in, and when this third man walked in, the little boy's eyes lit up, and the boy turned to the judge and said, "'Your Honor, I want to go home with that man.'" And the judge said, why do you want to go home with that man? And, and the boy said, "I, even though i never seen his face, I know who he is. I can see his hands, and I know who he is. It would be nice to learn how to become rich. It would be nice to get a great education. It would be nice to live with a doctor. But when somebody loves you enough to burn their hands, when they love you enough to share the pain with you, when they love you enough to hurt when you hurt and ache when you ache, when, when they love you enough to pay the price so you may be free and live, the boy said. They have the privilege of my relationship and my trust. Church, we can look at Jesus' hands and be reminded of the love of a God, of a Savior, of a friend who will cast away all of our doubt and meet our every need. So, let's stop doubting and start believing. Let's pray. Dear God, just thank you for this day. And, Lord, I just truly pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can. Take away the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Take away the disbelief. Take away the shame. Remove the obstacles that keep us from fully trusting. And help us to find true life, everlasting joy and peace that only comes by laying it down, laying down our pride, laying down our ability to try to work for ourselves and just to simply trust in you. God, you are God. You are God. And we will continue as long as we live to make their bold declaration. Our God and our King. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And without further ado, please raise your hand to receive the Lord's blessing over you. God's word says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, downtown church.